Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Jesus was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple, the place of worship, the place of sacrifice, the place where God promised to dwell among his people. And ever since his arrival, he had faced nothing but conflict, nothing but confrontation. Now, to be fair, he had caused quite a scene. On his second visit to the temple, Jesus had overturned tables, drove out those buying and selling, disrupted the entire sacrificial system of worship. Well, not surprisingly, Jewish leadership, the religious leaders, were not pleased. They had sought Jesus out, questioned the source of his authority. Pharisees had tried to trap him with political, with a political question. Sadducees tried to trap him with a theological question, but Jesus had bested them all. Well, Mark tells us that a scribe had been watching. Scribes were Bible scholars. The Bible then meant just the Old Testament. Scribes were experts in the law, God's law, the Torah. They could make authoritative judgment over interpretation of the law. Scribes were called by the title rabbi, which means my master or my great one. This scribe had been listening observing the conflict, observing the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he was impressed with what he saw. He was stirred by Jesus' wisdom and his knowledge. So he approaches him, and he asks him a question, a sincere question, a genuine question. He's not trying to trap Jesus. He's not trying to catch Jesus. He's not trying to snare Jesus. The scribe really wants to know what Jesus thinks. Listen again to his question from verse 28. Which commandment is the most important of all? In other words, Jesus, which commandment is first? First as in primary, paramount, greatest. This was not an unusual question for a rabbi. But it was still a challenging question, and here's why. Scribal tradition held that there were 613 commandments in God's law, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And out of the 613, 365 were prohibitions, such as do not murder. 248 commands were requirements, such as honor your father and mother. Well, rabbis were already categorizing commandments. They categorized some commandments as heavy, meaning more essential. And when broken, these heavy commandments held severe penalties, even death. Other commandments were considered light. A perfect example is found in Deuteronomy chapter 22. The law, this law in Deuteronomy 22 states that when you come across a bird's nest, whether that nest is is in a tree or on the ground, don't take the mother bird. You can take the eggs, but leave the mother. 
Now, it's not as if scribes were unconcerned about birds, but compared to laws pertaining to the welfare and well-being of people, this was a light commandment. So out of all of God's commandments, 613, out of all of the divinely given law, the scribe wants to know what Jesus considered to be the weightiest. Well, Jesus answers with Deuteronomy 6, our Old Testament reading. This is known as the Shema, which is Hebrew for to hear. The Shema was recited morning and evening by pious Jews. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The Lord, the creator of all things, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am who I am. He is one. There is only one Lord. There is only one God. And as one, he is not only Lord over Israel, but he is Lord over all. Lord over every nation, every land, every people, every individual, including you. As Lord, he has claim to you, claim over you, over your life, your whole being. And he desires you to love him, commands you to love him. Make him first. Make him the, the center of your life, the focus of your life, the goal of your life. To love him with your whole being, out of your whole being. Love God with all your heart. All your heart, meaning your center, your inmost being, the seat of your emotions, your feelings, your passions. Love God with all your soul, your spirit. That eternal God-gifted, God-breathed part of you, which gives you vitality. Love God with all of your mind. Now, Jesus adds this to the Shema. You won't find this in Deuteronomy 6, but Jesus says, love God with all your mind. Love God with your intellect, your intelligence, your thoughts, your understanding. Love God with all your strength, meaning your will, your faculty to decide, initiate, act, and strength as in your own body, your physical capacities, your physical capabilities. Love God with your whole being. Love God out of your whole being. Heart, soul, mind, strength. All of you. Not just part of you. Not just your mind. Not, not just your feelings. Not just your will. But all of you. Are you loving God with all of you? Every day. Every moment. Are there areas of your life, places in your life where you're not loving God? Well, Jesus quotes the Shema, but he's not finished with his answer. The, the scribe asks for one commandment, but Jesus gives two. This time he quotes a law from the book of Leviticus. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Well, in the Old Testament, neighbor meant other Israelites. Neighbor meant fellow Jews. But, but Jesus defined neighbor as everyone. Everyone as in, as in the person next to you. The person you drive by. The person you pass on the street. The person in front of you in line. The person sitting at the table next to you. Even your enemy is your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you love yourself? Well, self-love usually means that, and we we do this so well, self-love means usually that you put yourself first. You put your needs first, your time first, your well-being first. You're focused on you, taking care of you. Well, Jesus says, apply that to your neighbor. Instead of you, apply it to your neighbor. Put your neighbor first. Put their needs first, their time first, their well-being first, and act on it. Do it. Live it. Neighbor love is selfless. Neighbor love is sacrificial. And when you do it, when you love your neighbor, you're loving God. How? Because you're keeping his commandment. You're showing God love by keeping his command to love your neighbor. But there's a proper order. Jesus is clear about the order. Loving God is first. The vertical is first. And loving your neighbor flows out of your love for God. And when you do both, you are living as God desires. When you do both, you are living as God designed, namely outside of yourself, focused away from yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. Now, before Jesus, no one, no one, no rabbi, no scribe, no teacher, no prophet had ever combined these two commandments in this way. And they'd been taught on plenty of times. They'd been uplifted many a times, but they had never been combined in this way as the first commandments, as a summary of the law. Now, this this combination avoids two pitfalls, a a, a mysticism and a humanism. It avoids a, a, a mysticism where there's such a focus on God that there is no thought about the people around you. There's no thought. There's such a focus on God. There's no thought about the people around you, their needs, their struggles, their 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 cares. It avoids a humanism where there's such a focus on those around you, on their needs and their struggles and their kids, that there's no thought about God. Well, the scribe agrees with Jesus. Yes, the scribe agrees with Jesus. You're right. To love God and neighbor is first, more important than any of the other laws, even the laws concerning sacrifice and burnt offerings. Well, the scribe, this This rabbi is judging Jesus' answer. He's he's making pronouncement over Jesus' answer, and he agrees. But it turns out that actually it's the scribe's answer that's being judged. Jesus, seeing that the scribe answered wisely, he speaks these words in verse 34. You're not far from the kingdom of God. The kingdom 
is where God reigns and rules. The kingdom is the domain of God's people. Well, the scribe answers wisely. He answers correctly. He's in full agreement with Jesus's teaching, and he's not far from the kingdom of God. Well, if that's the case, then who is near the kingdom of God? Who is in the kingdom of God? Well, the answer is found in the question that Jesus asked immediately after this. Well, Jesus had been bombarded with question after question after question, and now it's his turn. As he taught, he asked this question in verse 35. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Well, the scribes, the Bible scholars, taught that the Christ, the Messiah, the King whom God would send to save his people, reestablish the kingdom, would be a son of David. He would be a descendant of King David. David, the giant killer. David, the shepherd. David, the musician. David, man after God's own heart. David, king who reigned over Israel a thousand years before this passage. Jesus asked, how can this be? How is Christ the son of David? And to support his question, he quotes part of Psalm 110. This psalm was our call to worship this morning. And it is the most frequently quoted Old Testament text in all the New Testament. David, in the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. In the original Hebrew, the first Lord is Yahweh. The Lord, Yahweh, the one Lord, creator of heaven and earth. I am who I am. The second Lord is Adonai. Referring to the king of Israel. Well, this psalm, Psalm 110, was originally a coronation psalm. It was a a prayer, a hymn, sung at the inauguration of the king, the crowning of the king. And since there had been no king for centuries, the psalm was understood to refer to the Messiah, the Christ who was to come. God said to my Christ, the Lord said to my Lord. Jesus then asked, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? How is he a son? Jesus is implying this. If David, inspired by God the Spirit, calls the Messiah Lord, then the Messiah must be greater than David. Must be greater than David. Not simply a son, not simply a descendant, but more, greater, Lord. Well, Jesus asked the question and notice, nobody answers. No scribe, no Pharisee, no one. But the answer is there. Standing before them in the temple, asking the question. Jesus, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the God-promised, long-awaited king. He is the son of David, a descendant of David in the family line of David but he's also greater, greater than David, Lord over David, because he is the son, God, the son, the eternal son who took on flesh, entered creation, became a man. He is the son of God, Lord, Christ, 
king who came to conquer. And he conquered not through military might. He conquered not through arms. He conquered through love. He conquered by love. Sacrificial love, selfless love. Loving God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. Jesus put his father first, the glory of his father first, every day, every moment. He was obedient. Obedient even unto death. Death on a cross. And it is through his death that Jesus showed love of neighbor, which is love for you. Putting you first. Jesus put your needs first, your well-being first, your life first, before his own, even above his own. God commands you to love. Love him with your whole being. Love your neighbor as yourself every day, every hour, every minute. But the truth is you don't. The truth is you can't. And that's sin. That's sin. Your failure to love is sin. And sin separates you from God. Sin leads to death. And sin leads to eternal separation from God. Hell. But the Christ has conquered. You don't love perfectly. You don't keep God's commandments perfectly. But Jesus does. Jesus did. And he did for you. Through his love shown on the cross, by his death on the cross, Jesus has conquered sin, your sin. And he gives you forgiveness. And he gives you life. Through Jesus, faith in Jesus, you enter the kingdom of God, which means it's, you're, you're, you're not far off, you're not near, you're in. You're a citizen, citizen of, of, of a kingdom that's not of this world, citizen of a spiritual kingdom whose king is the son of David and the son of God who lived the great commandment for you. Are you in the kingdom? Do you follow this Christ? Is he your Lord? Then love him. Love him with all your heart. Love him with all your soul. Love him with all your mind. Love him with all your strength. Love your neighbor. Love because you have been loved by the king. King of kings. And Lord of lords. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 